0: Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we're glad to be assembled on a Thursday night. We thank you for your blessings and your goodness to us and ask that you would once again take this time and encourage us, strengthen us, teach us from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. All right. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Philippians. If you need an outline, wave your hand there and... uh, I have heard that uh, the trains are all messed up, and uh, I know we were out a little earlier and the roads were all crazy. I mean, just trying to get across any of the bridges was absolute insanity this morning and uh, early afternoon, and uh, I expect more of that as the construction on the bridges in LaGuardia continue It's just going to get worse and worse, I'm afraid, this summer, and i uh, Looks like they're going to tear up 35th Street, though we have no confirmation the paint marks are out there to put new sewer in, which will mean digging the whole street up. And so we have no idea if that is a planned project or uh, one of those things that just will get all painted up and they never do. So uh, we'll, we'll find out, I am sure. But uh, let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we are... Moving through the book at a a fairly good clip, which means we're we're not going to be uh, stopping a very long time at any one passage, though uh, there are just certain places in this book that uh, would merit a great deal of time. But uh, we want to get the big picture here of the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul opens with his introduction in verse 1. And uh, his uh, prayer for uh, the Philippian church there. Uh, and the context is, uh, of this is he is confident in verse 6 of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That Paul is just simply saying, listen... There was a good church there when I left. I was only there for many days, as we found out in the first time. He said, I'm, I'm confident that God is going to continue the work in his church till the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, if we understand our Bible correctly and, and we uh, do believe that uh, that is the case is a time period that lasts just a little over a thousand years, beginning with the rapture of the church, the tribulation, ending with the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom. Uh, the bulk of that day of the Lord, of course, being the thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ. The church is going to work, continue to work. It is going to be supported until... The Rapture, Then the church will be in heaven. The doors will be closed. The church uh, will be sealed. And that universal church that everybody talks about will finally be assembled. The only problem is it won't be universal. It will be local. Uh, because every church you find in the Bible is local. Uh, I love the, uh, the illustration. If you want to learn about the church, the Bible says... Look at the human body. Every time I hear some report on the human body, when I was a kid, I think the number was about 3 billion cells. And I read in one of my kids' science books a few years ago, 10 trillion and, or 10 billion. And, and then I heard some radio advertisement talking about 76 trillion cells in the human body. I, I'm not quite sure they could fit that many uh, in most of our bodies. Uh, And uh, the simple truth of the matter is, maybe they just don't know everything that they think they do uh, in the scientific world. But we will serve the Lord, and the picture of the human body is this. When all of its pieces are assembled together, working together, there is life. Life. When you have the pieces of your body scattered all about the operating room, you're either in big trouble or it's already all over and they're doing the autopsy to try to figure out how you died in the first place. Uh, It's always best to have all the parts together, connected. That's, That's life. And that's what a local church is. Amen? And when we get to heaven, the day of the Lord begins... That church is taken out and will be assembled in heaven, all believers, in one body, with Christ as its head. And that will be a wonderful day. Amen? But Paul says here, until that day comes, in verse 9... He says that you, your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Paul, Paul is praying that this church, there are choices. Excuse me, there are choices that have to be made. Uh, the Bible says approving things that are excellent. It's not just enough. Uh, we, we have an attitude that pervades much of Christianity that we'll, we'll just not uh, make a big deal about a lot of things so we can get along in the quote-unquote body of Christ, and by that they improperly apply that. To all churches and all faiths and all kinds of things like this, if you're not saved, how can you be part of Christ's body? Uh, Not possible, sorry. Uh, That physical thing that Christ has given us as a testimony is baptism, that's what makes you a member of the local church. Now, somebody, if you want to argue about what's going to be in heaven, be my guest. But since none of us have been there, uh, we will not spend our time arguing about what's going to happen in heaven. I've heard preachers preach sermons on, if you're not baptized in a a proper church here, you're going to be a second-class Christian in heaven. I can't find that in the Bible, but I do find a lot of things in the Bible that says we're supposed to obey the Scripture. So, don't use someone's argument not to be obedient to Christ where you are right now. Amen? And that means be a part of this church. Approve those things that are excellent. Yes, you won't lose your salvation if you never get baptized. Praise God. He's, when He saves you, He saves you. But if you are living for Jesus, if you are saved by His blood... Why wouldn't you want to be identified with Him? Amen? Why wouldn't you want to serve Him, give to Him who's given so much to you? That's what He's talking about here in the church, is to approve those things that are excellent. That's one of the reasons why our church uses only the old King James Bible, is because we want to approve those things that are excellent. It never ceases to amaze me. Those that condemn Uh, The King James' only position, when you begin to probe them about what kind of Bible they have, they'll usually end up quoting uh, a fellow whose books I have on my shelf, saying that, uh, and his name just slipped my mind, but uh, 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 saying that there are 125,000 errors. In your New Testament alone. Now, if you read the book, the man's talking about printing errors, not textual errors. But if you read Tischendorf, he had over 125,000 revisions in his New Testament alone. So, are you going to take a Bible... Which you can trust every word and trade it in for a Bible that you can't trust any word? Does that make sense to anybody out there? This is what we're talking about, approving things that are excellent. Just keeping our Christianity simple and biblical. That It says here that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. He wants us to abound in knowledge and in judgment. I remember when the Promise Keeper movement came into effect. And uh, it it began as just a very small thing. And soon it was like a firestorm, I think. Met Stadium, they gathered uh, somewhere around, they claimed 30,000 men in Met Stadium. Men trying to be Christian men. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it a good thing to be a Christian man? Absolutely. But here's one of the ten promises that promise keepers must keep when the organization was around, is to break down denominational barriers. Now, wait a minute. Since when is it godly to ignore from your Bible and accept untruth in the name of Jesus. Can't find that in the scriptures anywhere. And so the promise keeper movement became non-topical. Because it's not Bible. We want to keep things Bible. Bible. The Billy Graham crusade, their biggest movement is into the Catholic Church. I remember in 1984, 85, I was a student at Bible college, and Billy Graham accepted a doctor's degree from a Catholic university, talking about the Pope being one of the finest Christians that he knows. If he believes what he says he believes and what the Catholic Church has taught, there is no hope of ending up on the right side of eternity and we cannot mesh truth with untruth and have anything but a mess. That's what Paul's talking about here. That is his prayer for the Philippian church. And he wants them in verse 12, I mean verse 11, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, we get to the next section here, verse 12. Paul now opens the door here to what's going on in his own personal life, his hopes, his expectation here. Because he knows that the Philippian church there has been in prayer for him. As we get toward the end of the chapter, they will have Uh, He has received offerings from them while in prison and it has been a great blessing uh, to him. And so he's trying to comfort them concerning his imprisonment because the natural response here is to say, Wow, Paul, what a pity. Uh, It's a terrible thing. All that you have to suffer being in prison for these two years. It just doesn't make sense. And and Paul wants us to understand that it does make sense. That God always makes sense whether we can see it or not. That that judgment and that knowledge he talks about in verse 9 were alive and active in Paul's life that Paul himself in approving those things which are excellent it did not shun his imprisonment, did not sit there and and complain to God about this. And here's what his testimony is in verse 12. But I would, ye should, understand. He said, I want you to understand that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, isn't it curious the words that the Apostle Paul has chosen, and we do understand that, that uh, the Holy Spirit influenced those words. He says, the things that happened to me have fallen out. Now, in a military, the word fall out is a, a term. The troops are to fall out. That means you're to get out of your sleeping bag, out of your tent, out of your barracks, and you're to stand for uh, inspection or march or whatever the, the duty of the day are. How many of you have ever opened a drawer and everything just fell out? Or a closet? I hope it doesn't happen with your refrigerator. That's terrible when that happens. That means something's been growing in there. But uh, Paul said, I had no control over the circumstances here. I had no planning with them. He said, but... Everything kind of fell out the right way. He said, as I look back over what has happened to me, I see that the gospel has had a greater reach because of these chains than before. Number one, Paul has not had to worry for his life in almost four years now. Since Paul got saved, there was no period in his Christian life that lasted that long where he was not in mortal fear for his life. Uh, in Damascus, he had to be let down over the basket over the wall of uh, of Damascus. There, in a basket, to escape the murderous Jews. On the way on his trip back to Jerusalem, he had to change his plans. Uh, and spend extra time, actually, at Philippi to abide, uh, uh, get around the plotting of the Jews. The reference uh, that I have here in your outline is um, actually Acts 23. That is where Paul was arrested, and uh, the, uh, a group of over 40 men bound themselves with the curse. That means they said... The Lord, By the Lord God of Israel, we're going to murder this man. Now, how do you get that? You're taking a, a, an oath to the God of heaven that you're going to break His commandments. Uh, God doesn't honor that kind of thing. And those men, if they kept to their oath, they all died. Uh, but I'm sure that they broke their oath because most of the time... When you make a foolish oath like that, it is going to be broken one way or the other. Uh, God is interested in the keeping of his commandments, not the breaking of them. How about on the trip to Rome in the boat when Paul said, at the island of Crete, I don't think we should go. They went, they got in the storm. How many of you remember what happened after 14 days in the storm? Paul says, God's going to deliver us. Take cheer. And the sailors on the boat are planning on escaping. And Paul goes to the centurion and says, If these men don't abide in the boat, everybody dies. And the soldiers were given orders by the captain of the Roman guard to obey Paul's command. Who was in charge? Uh, Well, the apostle Paul was, wasn't he? You see... What kind of testimony did those soldiers take away from this thing? How about the gospel going to the island of Malta? Do you think that island would have ever been on Paul's uh, wish list of places he wanted to take the gospel? Uh, Can't find that in the scripture. He wanted to go to Rome, and he did in chains, the Bible tells us. He wanted to go to Spain, and we believe he went there. The tradition of the Welsh Baptist is that Paul made it to Wales in, in on the British Isles, and, and established a gospel preaching church there. And uh, there is not enough history to convert, controvert that uh, uh, that claim. And uh, but there is a Baptist church that has existed down through the centuries in. The country of Wales, and nobody knows when it started. Well, maybe it was just the Apostle Paul was there. Uh, I tend to believe that, but Paul would have never gone to Malta on his own. It was little. They were heathens. Uh, Barbarians, the word the Bible used, that means that they did not even speak the language of the day. Uh, they, They were not really a part of the commerce or anything that was going on, and yet gospel got taken to Malta. And there's still a church. It is Catholicized to much degree, but we still have Baptist missionaries going to Malta, taking the gospel to that same little island. And, uh, of course, if you've ever seen the Maltese flag or anything like that, the symbol of the island is St. Paul's Cross. Uh, and so we, we have the gospel going there. And so do we have... Paul's bonds furthering the gospel? Absolutely evidence there. And we read the next verse. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. This was not a, a uh, hidden thing as Paul was brought into Rome. He was put on the docket of those awaiting to hear trial by by Caesar, and the Bible says even those of Caesar's household were influenced by the Apostle Paul. Where in the world would he have opportunity to take the gospel into the very palace of the Roman Caesar? Uh, he would have never gotten that as Paul the Apostle traveling with, with uh, Barnabas and Silas and, Visiting churches, but here he was a guest of Caesar. He was under Caesar's care. And so we see that God had the gospel furthered by Paul's bonds. This was not a light statement that Paul meant. Every every word here was true and it was carefully understood. And so then... We come down to verse 14 and we find the second thing that Paul has. His hope, his expectation that the gospel, because of his bonds, has had a greater reach than it could otherwise. Number two, there is more preaching going on than there was before Paul was put in chains and, and imprisoned here. A lot of times... What happens when you have some great preacher like the Apostle Paul was? Everybody says, I'm going to sit and listen to him. Well, Paul did not, was no longer able to keep his preaching calendar up. Uh, it was rather limited. He could go as far as the chain went between him and the Roman soldier. Uh, that was about it. And so other people were now preaching. And this is a strange passage, really, and honestly, as Paul, and let's just read through this very quickly. He says in verse 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy and even of envy and strife. Isn't that weird? And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Wow. He said, there are two different kinds of preachers out there. And as I was preparing, I read a commentary and it said, yeah, these are talking about divisions in the body of Christ. I'm going, Uh Number one, you don't know what the body of Christ is because you're talking about anything that calls itself Christian. Number two, the Apostle Paul was never pleased with false doctrine going forth. So, that's not what's being spoken of here. Paul was very careful about doctrine. So, what is he talking about here? Well, there were some that were preaching the truth. Of envy and strife. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you what. My wife's sitting there looking at me. She's thinking of things. Her, She grew up traveling from church to church with her father as a preacher. She knows exactly what this verse is talking about. You go into one church and, man, that preacher is against everything and everybody. He's still preaching the gospel. And, and uh, I've run into this calling pastors... Uh, trying to raise money for the May offering for Heartland. I I got a hold of one preacher, and I mean, I could just feel the heat on the end of the phone. Why are you calling me about that school? And I'm sitting there going, whoa, what did I... I I asked him, I said, would you like us to take you off the list? I said, I don't want to... I'm not here to bother you, and and, I support other colleges. Okay, well, great. Uh, I like what Brother Clayton says. He says, I believe what they believe. I'm just not mad about it. And I'll tell you, there's people out there that are like this. You see, they have to include me in the equation. Uh, This was actually taught. I I praise the Lord that uh, I have pretty good evidence that this is no longer taught at this fundamental Baptist college. But uh, it used to be said that as, as you're developing your illustrations, preacher, you make yourself the hero of every story. And I'm sitting there going, wow. I just wouldn't be telling many stories. Uh, the, uh, you know, and, and what this is, it's, it's about man worship. You want the biblical uh, parallel to this, go to First Corinthians chapter 1. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am Peter. Uh, And then you had what we called at Bible College, the pious gas bags, I'm of Jesus. And, of course, none of them were true because if they were, they would be in total agreement with everybody else. Because Peter, Paul, Apollos, and Jesus all had one message. It was Jesus Christ. But personality gets in there. You know, it says that supposing to add affliction to my bonds. I myself have heard preachers preach that... God warned Paul not to go to Jerusalem, and he disobeyed and ended in prison. You know what? People were preaching that same message, and Paul's referring to it here. You know what? Paul was not afraid of what was actually happening in the world in which he lived. Many of those things, he was the butt of those jokes, of those Comments of those snide remarks, we might say. These were people who were otherwise attached to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they just had something in their soul that they couldn't surrender to the Lord. And the others, they were preaching of goodwill. They were uh, preaching of love. And they knew and understood that Paul was set for the defense of the gospel and the verse that he just shared, that the gospel was actually going forth more because of his imprisonment. There were people who were saying, in how many sermons have I preached over the years? How many of you remember when Brother Horton passed away? He said, Listen, that grand old man of the faith, somebody's going to have to take up that mantle. Well, guess what? That was going on too. Paul's in prison. He can't preach. We need young men to stand and preach like the Apostle Paul did. And here's Paul's testimony of the whole thing. Verse 18. What then? Don't worry about this. What's your problem? When is the last time that God gave us something that human personality didn't get into and mess it up to one degree or another? Hello? That's what Paul's saying. What then? What? Are you shocked about this? Didn't you read the letter to the Corinthians? Uh, Don't you know what's going on? He said, look, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. That does not mean... The Catholic version of salvation by little bits of baptism as a baby and doing good works, that's not what Paul Paul would not rejoice because that's not Christ being preached. It's not talking about the Church of Christ way of salvation where you have to mix faith with the waters of a baptistry in order to generate a salvation experience because that's not Bible salvation. Paul is not propounding or rejoicing in the mention of Jesus. May I give an extreme example? A former friend of mine, um, the church began to embrace this purpose-driven life, and he developed a, a paintball ministry. And he would have seven, 800 people show up for paintball. And one time he explained it to me. He said, half of the officers are, are saved and the other half aren't. We have unsaved people leading in, in this activity here, this ministry. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this doesn't sound too good. He said, but we preach the gospel because we have no kills in the paintball ministry. We only have resurrections. That's how many lives you get. In the, in the paintball game. And he said, that's how we preach the gospel. You see, Paul wasn't rejoicing about that kind of foolishness. Paul was rejoicing that even though somebody was mad at Paul, he was still preaching the truth about Jesus. That's what Paul was doing. And I don't, every time we teach the inner city missions class, I, I tell the students listen, just because you have a church that doesn't agree, that you don't agree with everything on, you don't go start a church next door to them. If they're a gospel preaching church, find a place that doesn't have a church. Because there's too many places that don't have churches for you to start right next door to somebody else. As long as. They're preaching the truth. Amen? And we have a policy at this church. If you come here from another church uh, that's Bible preaching, we, we don't accept it as members unless you can give us a doctrinal issue that's going on there. And uh, because that's, that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not whether I'm the greatest preacher. That's what Paul's saying. It's not about me. These people were trying to put human personality in with the gospel. Still goes on today. And here's the attitude that we need to have. We'll just keep Rejoicing in the fact that the gospel is preached. Now, Paul says something that is really strange. For I know, verse 19, that this shall turn to my salvation. I read one commentary and it says, We have no idea what Paul means by the word salvation. Well, we know 100% for sure Paul's not talking about getting saved from sin. And being assured of eternal life. Because that happened on the road to Damascus. Amen? So, what in the world would Paul be needing to be saved from? Well, how about a Roman prison? Would it be nice? I mean, Paul's going to say, as he has his expectation here, finishes this, that his expectation is that he's going to be released. Well, what is one of the evidences or truths that's going to help Paul when he goes to trial? Other Christians living good lives are going to be a good testimony for Paul when he stands before Caesar. I mean, I I had to start really thinking about that because the other two things that are here in this verse are, are... he says uh, there there are the, the preaching of the gospel, your prayers, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Well, what would those three things have in common in the life of the Apostle Paul? Evidence in his trial so he could be set free. The more churches that were out there, the more Christians that were living the truth is going to give Paul a stronger defense of all of the ridiculous things that he was accused of by the Jews. In fact, when he stands before Caesar, if we understand things right, he was exonerated and he was set free. It wouldn't be until the neurotic, psychotic uh, Nero came to the throne that Paul would be arrested again and then executed for being a Christian. And we know that Nero had a lot of other problems not only his hatred of the Christians. And so Paul says here that your prayers, the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit. And here's the, the thing that sums up this line of thought here. He says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Paul says, listen. I am on trial for my faith in Christ. And I want, as I am examined for that faith, that the lives of these other Christians and churches, the fact that you're praying for me, gives me confidence, and the fact that God's Holy Spirit is working in my life, that when I am examined, I'm going to be able in word, in deed, in truth, in examination of what I believe and where it goes. The the Romans were very thorough in their court cases. They uh, the uh, America built its jurisprudence system uh, based on many of the things that were uh, freedoms and and procedures in the Roman Empire before it. And the English uh, got many of their ideas for that. And I'm certainly glad that uh, they weren't reading. Uh, whatever those French revolutionaries were when they were making our Constitution and our courts. Amen? And they were building them on the laws of justice. And Paul says, listen, here's my hope. Here's my expectation that when I'm examined, they're not going to be able to find or prove any ill deed against me. Because, he says, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He said, no matter what happens, I want Christ to be glorified. Then one of the great verses in the Bible, just a verse that you ought to have memorized. This is Paul's testimony for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Oh, that that could be said about us today. If there is one thing that I wish could be said about me, is to live is Christ, to die is gain. That was Paul's testimony. And it should be one that we strive for today. Then verse 22, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. What is the fruit of his labor? Churches. That is the fruit of his labor. People living for Jesus. Even if they're not doing everything for the right reason, serving Jesus is still the best thing that a person can do with their life. Amen? That was pitiful. Let's try that again. Serving Jesus is the best thing that a person can do with their life. Amen? It really is. And that's what Paul was simply saying here. He said, uh, Yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And Paul's making a transition here. Paul is giving his expectation, his hope of his life as he's there. He's saying, listen, you need to understand, these chains have taken the gospel to places it would have never gone without them. That there are more preachers today going on. And he said, the the fact that you are praying... With me, the fact that there are more churches now since I've been in prison than there were when I came to prison. He said, these things are all moving forward to give me a good testimony that when I'm examined and if I'm killed, they'll have to kill me for the Lord Jesus Christ, not for any wrong thing that I've done. Therefore, Christ is glorified. If I live... I'm going to glorify Christ with my life. And he said, if, what he was really saying, if I had a choice, I wouldn't know what to do. But since I don't have a choice, I'm just going to keep serving Jesus till he comes. Because, he said, as I'm looking at this, he said, I'd love to go to heaven. No more suffering, no more pain, no more of any of the problems of this life. He said, but I understand that there's still some things in your faith that need to be built up at that church in Philippi. So I have a pretty good idea that God's going to let me visit Philippi again. Because there's some things that need to be done. And as far as we know, Paul was absolutely 100% on with his expectation and his hope. But now in verse 26... Paul's not thinking about Paul and what he's hoping and his thought process about himself. He's saying, I know what's going to happen when I show up at Philippi. Uh, it is going to be party time. Everybody is going to be jumping up and down and praising the Lord and rejoicing. So that's one of the reasons why I really expect to be sent to you very so- shortly here. Uh, and and uh, because it is going to be glory and praise now Paul as he always did he never let well enough alone often that's a little phrase we use let well enough alone if it's not if it's working don't fix it well you know that's not true of the Christian life if it's working it ought to be growing don't be satisfied with where you are You need to be moving closer to Christ. Amen? And Paul is saying, listen, let's go back and pick up that thought that I'm confident that what Christ has began, He's going to keep working, but you're going to need to approve those things that are excellent. I want you to abound. I want your love to abound in knowledge and in all judgment. I want you approving those things that are excellent. Only let your conversation, that is your lifestyle, that is how you live, Be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He said, you've got to be careful, Philippian church, to maintain your relationship with God, to keep it where it ought to be. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith. Of the gospel, Paul says, listen, there is one thing that is a mark of the Holy Spirit working in a church, and that is the unity of faith and practice of its members. He said, that's what I want to see happen here. He said, then the next thing is, and in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that of God. You see, the world loves to bully. How many anti-bullying programs do we have going on right now? But I'll tell you what, if you really want to feel the effect of the bullying. Just stand up in a public forum and say something negative about sodomite marriage. They're going to bully you right out of the room. How many of you at work if you stood up and said, I support our President Donald Trump? You get thrown out, maybe even fired. I remember when the, the week of the election, it came in and uh, Thursday night after the Tuesday election and Everybody was just sitting there going, and I went, it's okay to be happy. And it was like, oh. And person after person told me stories of getting beat up at work unknowingly because they didn't dare open their mouth and say anything. And let me tell you, the world loves to bully, the world is all about bullying. And you know what terrifies them more than anything? Is when you're not afraid. I've told this story before years ago. I got a call. This is the IRS. Oh, really? You didn't figure your taxes right. You owe us. And, and I did the best I could. I, I looked at him, and I, I mean, not looked him, I just swallowed hard and said, "You're wrong." And the guy went ballistic. Do you want to speak to my supervisor? And it was like that on the other end of the phone. I said, actually, I would. I wanted to tell him I don't speak to madmen, men men who can't control their own emotions. Let me talk to somebody who's in a little more control of their faculties. Well, by the time the whole thing was done, they were sending me more money. And and, uh, that was nice. Uh, But the simple truth of the matter is the world uses intimidation. And when you're not afraid... You're the one that's crazy. You're the one that's evil. How many of you have heard somebody say, the problem is people who believe their religion is right. No. The problem is people who are willing to kill, maim, and injure other people because they believe their religion is right. No believer in this book called the Bible has ever picked up a sword to attack someone who has said something negative about the Bible but every other major religion has protestant catholic orthodox islam buddhist even the hindus have uh, the the peaceful people you get bad karma when you hurt other people but how many people have been murdered in india because they said something negative about it? let me tell you the baptists have never picked up the sword trying to Protect their religion or trying to convert someone to it all we need is this book Paul says it's an evident token to them that you're really perverted because you don't join with them you're not afraid of them you're not worried of them for unto you it is given in in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake Having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul said, listen, church at Philippi, here's my expectation for you. You better keep your life on the right road, the right relationship with God. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to go back. And approve those things which are excellent. allow your knowledge to grow. And your knowledge is based on your love. You love the Lord. The more you love the Lord, the more you will know how to obey Him. Amen? And he says, you just keep preaching Christ. Don't be afraid of this world. Don't allow them to bully you into disbelieving Jesus Christ. You have to understand something if you're willing to believe in Him you may also have the privilege of suffering for him. Paul said, that's a conflict that's in me right now. Paul was not enjoying imprisonment. This wasn't something that he was desiring. This wasn't something that he was going, Hey, boy, I'm living the life. Three squares and a cot and cable TV. No, that wasn't Roman prison. It was not a pleasant life. If the Philippian church hadn't sent an offering, he would go hungry. There, this was not always up. And, and Paul is saying, Listen, I'm not enjoying this. But I do understand something. The gospel's gone places it would have never gone. There are more preachers preaching than ever before. I have confidence... That God's going to keep me alive to keep working in churches. That I'm going to be set free from this bondage. But while it's going on, I'm going to believe in Him. I'm going to suffer for Him. And I'm going to keep serving Him. That was Paul's hope. That was his expectation. Not only for himself, but for the church at Corinth. I mean, Philippi. Church at Corinth too. All the churches, but... Specifically, he was writing to the Philippian church. And so, we come here, and now in chapter 2, as we start there, Lord willing, next week, he's going to start digging into some of the most sacred and intimate doctrinal places in all your Bible. And uh, he's really going to work this thing over, because... The Philippian church is doing what's right. He's not having to correct things. He's trying to get them to move to a greater and more intimate relationship with God, a more useful and living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Things that we would see as reversals and and bad things. He said, Lord, you used it to get the gospel more places. used it to encourage more preachers. And some of them had a spirit that wasn't 100% Christ-like for sure. But they're still preaching the truth. And therefore, we'll rejoice. Lord, we ask. That you would help us to be convicted by the testimony of Paul here and the behavior of this church in Corinth. And that we would strive to see these very same things echoed in our own life, in our own testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, if you'd like to add some of your own, we'll take just a moment here.